And let us pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we so often don't realize what a privilege it is to be together as your family. Help us to look at this moment in time as a gathering of your people, growing and developing through your spirit and turning again and again to your son, Jesus Christ, for the erasing of our mistakes. Bless us as we worship you this morning and guide us in the reading and the hearing of your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Our scripture this morning comes from 1 Samuel, the first chapter, as we continue the summer series, Forged in Faith. 1 Samuel 1, 9 through 18, and 24 through 28. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman Hannah went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And when she had weaned her male child, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli, and she said, O oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord." And he worshiped the Lord there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
I don't think it needs to be said that marriage can be one of the most joyful experiences in life. It can also be one of the most frustrating relationships we ever experience. Most of the time I suggest marriage is just not what we expected it to be. That in love feeling fails to the tedium of everyday life and those things that drew you to a person can often become the very irritants that drive you to distraction. Now, I don't want to, my purpose here is not to paint a bad picture of marriage, period. It's hard work, and that's what no one can prepare us for. We have to live it to understand it, don't we? Yeah. And some of us have been living it a long time. Suspend your beliefs for a moment and imagine that your marriage or your past marriage or your future marriage includes more than one wife. How would that complicate things? Women, your attentions from your husband would be split among perhaps two or more women. There would be children running around that didn't belong to you. Don't you discipline my child, you'd hear. Maybe the husband spends more time with one wife than he does with you. Jealousy can evolve. And let's just say that things get rockier than you could ever have imagined. So maybe being married to one man isn't as complicated as we sometimes make it. Now imagine you men being married to more than one woman. Now, I'm not dissing either men or women, but folks, this is just a recipe for disaster. How in the world can he be attentive to each wife, knowing her needs, spending time with her and her children, listening to her, serving her, supporting her? I recently read a story about a husband and wife visiting the wedding church in Cana of Galilee where Jesus performed his first miracle. After introducing himself to the resident Roman Catholic clergyman, Father Joseph, the husband informed him that he and his wife were there celebrating their 25th anniversary. And Joseph shouted, Mamma mia, 25 years of martyrdom. And the wife's parents were also on the trip and shared that they were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And Brother Joseph shouted again, Mamma mia, 50 years of martyrdom. Marriage is challenging enough. Whether it's one wife, two wives, three wives, whatever. Now let's throw in some outside influences and turn to the story of Hannah, which we are studying about today. Hannah was married to a man named Elkanah. Elkanah also had another wife, Panina. Like I said, recipe for disaster. But Hannah has much to teach us through her experience, so let's learn a little bit about her. Hannah and Elkanah lived in the historical area era after Joseph died excuse me, after Joshua died. 
before Joshua died, and you'll remember he's the one that eventually led the Israelites into the promised land, he recounted Israel's history to them, and they made a promise. I want you to listen to this promise and think about your own life. We will serve the Lord our God, and we will obey his voice. It didn't take long for Israel, and it doesn't take us long to break that promise. So a period of time began after the Israelites entered the promised land when Israel was ruled by a succession of judges. This was the pattern of that era. Israel would forsake the Lord and serve other gods. The Lord would deliver them into the hands of an enemy. The people would call on the Lord in their misery, and God would send a judge to deliver them. That pattern repeats itself over and over and over again. When the judge died, the particular judge, the pattern continued. Things were good as long as there was a judge, but once he or she died, and yes, there were female judges, the most famous being Deborah, the people would quickly turn back to following other gods. An endless and I imagine very frustrating experience for our Lord to watch. Back to Hannah now. We know several things about her. She suffered from infertility, unable to have children with Elkanah. But that other wife, Panina, had children. But that wasn't enough for Patina, Panina, excuse me. She could not muster up any empathy for Hannah. Being barren was a social embarrassment and as a woman, you were looked down upon by your community. Panina took it several steps further. She taunted Hannah. She bullied her. She insulted her. And she irritated her any time that the whole family went to the temple. She drew emotional swords and stabbed Hannah repeatedly, causing her much distress. Hannah sobbed often and refused to eat. Even her husband could not comfort her. On one yearly trip to the temple, we watch as Hannah surrenders to her pain, which is the first part of surrender we see in her story. Her pain was raw. How raw has your pain and suffering been? your frustrations, your impatience, your resentments, maybe of other people, maybe of yourself. Have you opened your heart from its deepest part to God? Or have you withheld it from him, preferring to bury your feelings or to be stoic in facing them? Some of us in generations past have been taught to keep our pain to ourselves, to not cry, to not be angry, or to bind up our rage at injustice. We were taught perhaps not to be whiners 
People who spend more time on their sorrows than their joys, you know, the woe is me people. Hannah, however, did not do this. And I think this is one of her very important lessons. She surrendered to her pain. We don't know what Hannah mouthed to God, but we can imagine that she expressed her unrestrained vulnerability before the Lord. She named raw emotions and unmet expectations. I imagine there may have been a few why me in there before the Lord. She probably asked very honest questions of God about her barrenness and the bullying of Panina. But Hannah, rather than showing us how to ignore our pain, shows us how to run with our pain and suffering, how to surrender to it. She doesn't run away from it. She embraces it and expresses from her soul the agony that it is causing. Second, Hannah clearly demonstrates for us the model I think we should follow. She surrenders her pain in prayer. So fervently did she pray, although no words came out of her mouth, that as we read, the prophet Eli thought she was drunk. How long will you go on being drunk, he asked her. Put your wine away from you, he said. Since we don't know what Hannah said, I turned to the book of Psalms, to the King David, to read some of his prayers of pain and suffering, what we call prayers of lament. Here are some of the things that David said to God. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, O Lord? How long? All my longings lie before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Now that's a hard prayer for many of us to say. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? We can only imagine that Hannah's prayers contain some of these same themes. Abandonment, anguish, distress, grief, misery, and confusion. All of these themes reflect that pain is a very real part of our lives. But pain usually indicates that there's a need for change. It can be physical pain, like health issues, or emotional pain, like relationship conflicts, betrayal, or abandonment. Hannah's emotional pain should overwhelm us, and it should con confront us with the pain we experience in our own lives. 
In her third lesson on surrender, Hannah demonstrates how to surrender everything, including the pain, to God. The theologian C.S. Lewis wrote, We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain tells us that something needs to change. Spiritually, if we fail to surrender our pain to God, we risk building emotional and spiritual walls that may keep the pain hidden, but will prevent the healing and grace that can enter into our lives. God can handle our most fervently negative prayers. You want to cuss at God? Cuss at God. You want to cry out of the depths of your heart and sob without words? Do it. If you think your God, our God, cannot handle this, you are mistaken. God can handle our most fervently negative prayers. He bore the most heinous prayer of pain when his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, completing his earthly mission on the cross, cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Many in here know the pain of being forsaken. It is often unbearable. Bearable. But God does not want us to hide that from him in an effort to make ourselves think we are self-sufficient. We can handle this. I'll just keep it buried deep inside. I'm not going to tell it to anybody and it'll just go away. Guess what? It doesn't go away if you keep it hidden. It stays with you and it eats at you. And until you can let that go before Almighty God, it will continue to do so. Never think that God does not want to hear your pain or that he cannot tolerate it. Surrender all the pain in all its expressions, in all its context, directly to the God who understands exactly what suffering is. Finally, in Hannah's example, we listen as she surrenders to God's faithfulness. In her remarkable story, we do know one extraordinary thing Hannah said to God. It's recorded in 1 Samuel 1:11. O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant, and remember me, and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. What an extraordinary vow. 
I'll have the child if you give it to me, but I'll turn him over to you. No questions asked. I'll give him back to you. With this vow in her heart, Hannah trusted God with her pain, her life, and with the life of any child she might ever have. What an extraordinary faith. Hannah was serious about her pain, yet she was willing to offer her firstborn son to God's service. In the Baptist denomination, you have baptism by submersion, and that comes at an age when a child, teenager, or an adult recognizes their need of a savior. But when those infants in the Baptist denomination come before the congregation with their parents, they are dedicated to the Lord. There is no baptism. They simply dedicate their children to the Lord. This is what Hannah did. Hannah dedicated any son she might have to the Lord. In doing so, Hannah surrendered to God's faithfulness. She trusted his faithfulness, believing that he heard her prayers and would answer. Now, friends and family, I'm I'm just going to say, this kind of faith should rock us out of our complacency in our prayer life. It should compel us to be bold and willing to surrender everything to God. For he is faithful. We don't know how he's going to answer. But if there's one thing I am 100% convinced of, God has been faithful to me for all my days. I cannot say the same thing for me. But I can say that about our God. He is faithful. And this is what Hannah trusted through the most difficult times of her life. She trusted his faithfulness. While Israel was repeatedly disobeying God and worshiping idols, Hannah was faithful in surrendering her life to God. She is an example of what Israel should have been doing, and she is an example of what we should be doing. Now, I love a story with a happy ending. You know, the, and they lived happily ever after kind. We learn those a lot as children. Hannah explained to the prophet Eli that she was not drunk or a worthless woman, but that she was crying and praying out in her anguish. Eli told her, go in peace. He also prayed that God would grant Hannah's petition. So Hannah left, and after this grueling time of prayer and pouring out her spirit, her heart and soul were unburdened through the surrender to pain, prayer, trusting God, and believing in his faithfulness. Months later, Hannah gave birth to Samuel, the last judge to govern the Israelites. Samuel would be the one to anoint Saul as the first king of Israel. Samuel would be the one to anoint David as the second king of Israel. Out of Hannah's pain 
and surrender came the king from whose line would descend the king of kings and the lord of lords. Sometimes we think our pain and suffering have no meaning, but Hannah reminds us that it does. We may not see it. We don't know if Hannah lived to see her son Samuel anoint the two kings of Israel. We may not see the results, but the process is what matters and waiting on God to do his will. It's amazing what can happen when we surrender our lives to God. And just so you know, Samuel was not the only child that Hannah had. She eventually had five more children, three sons and two daughters. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing out of pain and suffering and anguish and agony. God is faithful, but in his time. Out of Hannah's surrender come joys untold, a happily ever after story, even for today. To God be all the glory. Amen.